Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. And uh, we got a weird one. Yeah. This episode. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yep. It is uh, Louis Bonwell's 1974 surrealist comedy film, The Phantom of Liberty. Mm-hmm. But we, <laughs> as you can see, we're very enthusiastic about getting into it. Before we do, how are you going, Lee? Oh, I'm okay. We're in lockdown, but that's been good in a way for the podcast because we've been able to smash out a few. So we're coming to you from the very... Uh, past. Very yes, back past. Yes, yes. We, we've, we've chosen to use our uh, snap lockdown here in Melbourne uh, to bank a whole bunch of episodes. So this is, uh, yeah, we're recording these way in the future now, unfortunately. But, mm. um, yeah, we'll, we'll still How endeavor. About you? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Just trying to not go insane. Just watching a lot of random shit. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So it's a nice way to be when you've got mm. like the working from home and you can kind of, it's easy to have a movie on in the background when you're also doing spreadsheets. It's, it works well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, I probably shouldn't put that out publicly, but whatever. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Um, but we, do you want to, you ready to do this? You, you want to dive in? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> sure. All right, so The Phantom of Liberty. Louis Bonwell's vision of the inherent absurdity of human social rituals reaches its taboo annihilating extreme in what may be the most morally subversive and formally audacious work. Zigzagging across time and space from the Napoleonic era to the present day, The Phantom of Liberty unfolds as a picturesque, its characters traveling between tableau in a series of Dadaist non sequiturs. Unbound by the laws of narrative logic, Bonwell lets his surrealist id run riot in an exuberant revolt against the bourgeois rationality that seems telegraphed directly from his unconscious to the screen. Wow. Yes. Yep. For an entertaining film, does it make? That is no. the question. <laughs> no. Definitely not. Um, there is a lot to unpack with yeah, that little spiel. Um, the absurdity of human rituals, social rituals, definitely. Uh, taboo, uh, extremes. These are all things, yep. Uh, but then there's some things that I don't probably understand in this uh, explanation, and it's a lot of the words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there's like a new term, bougie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it's an abbreviation from bourgeois. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Bourgeois. Um, speaking of the bourgeois, so this film uh, for Bonwell's career comes directly, I believe it's one year after he wins the Academy Award for uh, Best Foreign Language Film for his previous bizarre surrealistic kind of episodic film, uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Oh, there's that word again. Um, yes. Have you seen that? Yes, that was maybe a hundred films ago in the collection. Right. We've we've done the the kind of three big Bonwells that kind of come at the end of his career. So before that was the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, 
Uh, then now comes Phantom of the Liberty, and then after that one is The Obscure Object of Desire, which was his last film, which is kind of, it's surreal, but it's kind of more a standard narrative feature. Um, there are going to be a couple more Bonwells later up in the collection. Uh, one that I love, uh, Belle de Jour, um, which is just an absolute classic, I think. Uh, Exterminating Angel and things as well. Kind of his more, like... The majority of his films have surrealistic imagery in them, but it's it's more kind of... They're, they're not non-linear and non-narrative films, I guess. They're, they are more traditional. Okay, so you would say that this is his most surrealist in the uh, way that it's not linear and it's jumping characters and timelines and all that sort of thing. From what I've seen, yes. Uh, on okay. par with Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Like, they're very kind of similar in that regard. And that one won Best Foreign Language foreign... Film at the, Os- at the Oscars. Yes, it did. Okay. And it's similar to this one. Yep. Interesting. And okay. it was, I believe, coming at a time in his career where um, Bonwell was kind of having a really tough time getting movies made. Um, he was somebody, his first film is uh, one of the most famous short films in cinema history, um, Unchain Andalou. Um, I'm pretty sure we saw that back in film school like 20 years ago or whatever it was. Mm. Um, you know, it's one that everyone seen. It's the classic image. The image that everyone knows is the uh, having the eye held down and like the razor blade across the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a 1926 short film he made with Salvador Dali. Oh, okay. And from there, that kind of got him into the film movement and as an artist and that's sort of, you know, he went from there, um, sort of having a career of like a lot of classics of world cinema, things like Belle de Jour, Exterminating Angel and things. But this is, I believe he's 74 years old when he makes this film. Um, so about 72, 73 when he makes um, uh, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. And that was, he was debating retiring and giving up like he was having a hard time getting stuff made at that point mm. and that kind of runaway hit especially coming at that time the counterculture and the kind of absurdity stuff happening um people audiences ate it up so he was able to kind of keep going and make a few more movies i would say that the audience for this type of thing in the 70s would be there'd be so many more open-minded artistic people who would be way more interested in like something like this came out now i don't think it would have as big an audience yeah well there'd be an audience for it but yeah not like oh. winning academy award directors or anything like that big. oh i mean for sure there's still movies like this that come out like last year um the swedish filmmaker roy anderson had his film about endlessness um i i yeah it's it's very similar to like that kind of vignette kind of you know, examination of culture and society as shown through a bunch of vignettes, I guess. It's still okay. out there, but um, I, it, it's something that you don't see that often these days. It's something, yeah. it's something I, I dig it, but it's it needs to be engaging enough to kind of keep you through for the length. I would say that at no point when we switched from one character to a new character was I like, oh, no, you know, I was yeah. totally up for the flow, the way it's structured. I think because you gave me that little spiel before we watched as well, I was prepared, which helped. Yeah, I, I've learned over the over the near year of doing this with you now, Lee, of, um, yeah, pre-warn you on some movies. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Give you a heads up of what you're, you're getting into, I guess, helps. Yeah, 
And mm. so you could see the crossover moments and all that sort of thing. And uh, that was all good. And there were some really good sections of this film that were really great. I really liked... Uh, <laughs> we start with like almost like a Napoleon type thing and someone's going to desecrate a grave and they do and they find a beautiful queen or beautiful woman and she's fresh as a rose her flesh is as fresh as a rose um and the statue sort of karate chops the soldier who's um pulling her out of the grave and then we cut to a creepy man in a park i promise i'm not <laughs> going to do this the whole way through but it's just really funny oh, no no this is this is the best way i think to go through i literally um have in front of me wikipedia open with Perfect. the plot synopsis so the, the nanny is reading a story and then that Napoleon story is the story she's reading in her book. She's sitting on yes. the park bench, not paying attention to the little girl that she's looking after. Yep. And uh, that is a short story called The Kiss, uh, written by a Spanish uh, post-romanticist Gustavo Adol Adolfo Becerra and by uh, Francisco Goya. Uh, okay. Like It's inspired by a Goya painting, The Third of May. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, she's reading that story. She's not paying attention. The little girl's there with her friend. And this man is in a black coat and a black hat. And he he's just like, you just look at him and you're like, you shouldn't be in a playground, you know? You're a bit, this, you're a bit um, old. I'm going to evoke the Wikipedia once more. Um, with I, I just love the way this is worded. The children in her care are given some pictures by a strange man in the park. There are implications of child abduction or pedophilia. <laughs> like, why is no one telling this man to fuck off? Um, yes. And then he's like, come with me, children. And he gives them some photos. We don't see the photos. He's like, but it's, you it's, can show it's heavily. All yeah. You as the audience are like, oh, this is photos of his dick. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just like, you look at this as much as you want. Show it to all of your friends, but don't show any adults because that yes. will ruin the surprise or the secrets. Like and he's also offering them candy or something we hear later, but I don't think we hear Ugh. that at the time. No. He was a sweet man. He offered me candy. Um, <laughs> and he then we go. move this couch to the back of a van. <laughs> um, and then we cut to the little girl returning home. And she shows her mother, which is the same actress. I'm really proud of myself. Mm. The same actress from Laclise. I feel like I'm now a almost criterion uh, quest person. Like oh, I don't yeah. feel like a. I'm like if I'm starting to recognize people, I've I've been doing it a while. You know, you're starting to recognize familiar faces across world cinema. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's yes. super satisfying when that happens. It is super satisfying. Um, and then the little girl shows the pictures to her mum and she's like, get in here. Where'd you get these from? Jesus Christ. Disgusting. And then uh, the wife and the husband, uh, they reveal the photos and they're just some landmarks. No, oh, no it's, it's the best is the, like, they chastise the, the nanny and things. And it's like, get out of our sight, blah, blah, blah. And the <laughs> husband, they're sitting there looking at the photos and they're just like, oh, mm. but then the husband kind of has a wry smile. He's like, yeah. although... You remember that one time in Venice, eh? Yeah? Like, kind of giving a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Yeah, say no <laughs> more, say no more. It's kind of like, ah, oh, it's fucked up, but it's also, hey, this is kind of saucy. <laughs> and it, it's revealed that the photos are just pictures of historical landmarks around the world. So funny. It's... Yeah. 
a lot it's, of the jokes are like that. It's it's I it, the best way I can describe the comedy of this film is it's like New Yorker cartoon where you just kind of you don't laugh at them you you'll kind of sit there either be annoyed at how uptight the comedy is or like thinks it's so smart or you'll do the hmm. yeah like the exhale out the nose laugh I would say we were like most of the way there were uh, we will get to them, but there were some actual laugh out loud moments. But yeah. for most of it, we're like, oh, I get it. Because it's, it's meant to be this and it's not. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. The, and the I think this leads, there's like a perfect example of what kind of is my, one of my overall problems with connecting with the film is everyone is downplaying the comedy. Like in every scene, like the like the two parents there could have been like going so broad with like their overreaction of like what has happened and like then the sauciness of it and like it, it's just played so straight and yeah. kind of muted that you're like, Oh, okay, yeah. that that was the joke. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's because it's French and not American? I don't know. Uh, um I don't know, the French do love Jerry Lewis, so Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I wouldn't know. But, like, um, I know what you mean. It's, yeah. It's not like a joke's happened. It's just moments and they flutter through. It, it's a very clever premise. And, that, and it's just something about the execution makes you go, that's clever. Yeah. And But not actually... A, a, and that's a lot of the film is like, oh, that's cl- that's, is oh, I I get that there's a joke happening or yeah, a, sub- a, a subversion is happening, but it doesn't necessarily make me go, ha 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 ha. Yeah, and um, the poster on the Criterion Collection uh website mm-hmm. is of like a flamingo, but it's a bum. And it's the Statue of Liberty, because it's the Phantom of Liberty. And that picture, to me, just screams Monty Python. Yes, that, that's, that's a hard thing not to evoke with this movie. And it, that, this movie very much feels like, um, not Life of Brian, not Holy Grail. Meaning, meaning of meaning Life. Meaning of Life, definitely. It's yep. very Meaning of Life, and but nowhere near... As good. Well, that, that's what I'm meaning. Because, like, it, you've hit the nail on the head. Like, with... Because with Python, like, what I was trying to explain in that... With that previous scene of how they're playing it just kind of muted and flat. The the other example I had in my head of somewhere... A scene that's kind of a similar discussion between consenting adults about a sexual nature. And it's taken... You know, it's supposed to be upper class, kind of very prim and proper. Mm. I just am thinking of Eric Idle and Graham Chapman being like, well, I could go down the street and pick up a condom right now. <laughs> you know, but they're, <laughs> d- but they're so broad with, and then Eric like, oh, well, why, why don't you? Like, yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, they, they're going for the laughs. Whereas this, the, the problem with the majority of the comedy, for, for me at least with this film, is it's trying to be smarter than its execution is. If that makes yeah. sense. Where it's Yeah. It, it it's going for very interesting cerebral kind of scenarios, but then decides to play it for the intellectualism versus the laugh. 
Yes. I agree. Yes. And that just gets kind of frustrating because you're like, you're a comedy. Yeah. And then Play, it's but, just... But don't be ashamed. It's almost like it's ashamed of being a comedy. Yeah. It doesn't quite know if it is or not. And there were moments that... Um, so we go, then we follow someone's nurse. I don't know. I'm not even going to bother well, to connect we it. Have, it's... We, have the, we have the wonderful scene of the, those two parents going to bed and in their bedroom at night they get <gasps> visited true. by a mailman and an ostrich. <laughs> a, a rooster. Um... Yeah. And then he goes to the, the next scene is him and his doctor being like, you need to help me. And he's just like, no, these are all dreams. He's like, it's not like you got to help me. I get visited I've... by ostriches and mailmen in the night. Yeah, it's what not is a dream. my medical condition? <laughs> yeah. I, and then he's like, well, you need to go to a psychoanalyst for that. They'll listen to you for days, he's like, hours, years if you want to. But he's like, but I've got the letters to prove that this yeah, is Yeah, it's not a dream. I've got the letters. Um, and then he takes, the doctor takes the letter into the next room where the nurse is. And then that's the end of that story. We're yep. now following the nurse and her story to go see her dying father of heart disease. And then she stops um, at a um, motel hotel because the weather's terrible. But before that, on the way to the motel, she gets stopped by a tank of soldiers who are hunting a fox. That was okay. That was the first time I laughed. See, it, and but it's like immediately following like the... You have to help us. I, I have such restless nights. I get visited by ostriches. <laughs> Into I get hunt like people in a tank hunting a fox. Like it's so. It's like oh, okay. We were saying it feels like a Zucker Brothers movie, almost like Hot Shots or an airplane. Like yeah. It's like oh, this is super fun. Actually, this is if it can maintain this bizarre surrealist kind of slant for the rest of the film. This is gonna be great. Yeah. It doesn't. No. <laughs> but that, that, them, have you, sorry, ma'am, have you seen any foxes? And they're like, no. I told you there was no foxes around here. And then they drive up in their tank. So it's, good. I was, it's I fucking actually, great. I chuckled a lot at that. Yeah. Um, and then she gets, yeah, so she gets the motel and then, uh, oh my God, all this nonsense goes on. And it's just, yes. it's not even worth talking about. This but, is a motel, I I mean, was it run by Basil Fawlty? Because there's, yes. there's some shenanigans happening. Yes. And um, the main one is uh, this young man and his aunt have secured a room. <laughs> yeah. And... What proceeds is a semi-love scene between the two of them trying to... The boy's trying to seduce his aunt to have sex with him. And we see... It's a weird moment where he, like, gets her to get naked and he rips a cover off her. And oh, she's and got a very, young It's young very lady, clearly not diff- the same actress. <laughs> yeah. Who's, like, weird. covering her face to, like, hide it. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, so then he... Uh, she's like, no, I can't go through with it. So he leaves the room. And he gets scurried into another couple's room and uh, then some more people come to the room. I'm not going to go into detail. But oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, you need to go into detail because it's the nurse who ends up playing a drunken game of poker with a bunch of monks. Yeah. To, like, okay, this is a real movie, everybody. If you haven't seen yeah. it, like, this is what... Yeah. I, uh, really, I reckon you explaining this to someone is like someone explaining their dream to you and you're just yeah. like, huh? Well, that's... Okay. <laughs> Fuck it, I will jump into that right now. A lot of how this film was written, uh, because it's... Uh, 
who is it? It's uh, Bonwell and uh, Jean-Claude Carrier. Uh, they would wrote they wrote the script by essentially getting together every morning over coffee and stuff and going through. All right, what was your dream last night? Oh, I love that kind of, and then constructing bizarre surrealist, and then kind of trying to interpret dreams and create bizarre scenarios. They've got fucked up dreams. Yeah, uh, some of them are. Some of the little vignettes are actually based off of uh, semi autobiographical stories from Bonwell's life as well. So there's like who was fucking the art? That's what I want to know. Yeah, or who dreamt of that as well? Yeah, what, someone's like, I, messed up. I think the idea of like you know early on as well, like having the you know the the poker game with the monks. That's definitely a dream. That's someone's dream for sure. That's someone's dream. It's like they went to bed. Last thing they saw before they went to bed was that like famous painting of dogs playing poker, and they just kind <laughs> yeah. of interpreted. <laughs> um. So our nurse. The monks, the young man who wants to shag his aunt, all end up in this other couple's hotel room. And they are, we're so excited to have you. Please have some port. Make yourselves comfortable. We're going to have a jolly good time. If that's all right with you, we're going to have a really good time. And uh, each one of them separately out of the couple goes to the bathroom and gets changed into a dominatrix outfit and then an arseless chaps. Is that what we call it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially his suit that he's cut the butt out of. Yeah, okay. And then (laughs) they come out without being, like, without anyone noticing and everyone's just still talking. And then we just hear whipping sounds of the wife's whipping the husband. And the look on the monks and the nurse and everyone's face is just priceless. I was like this, ha, 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 for like a whole two minutes after that scene. I was, I thought it was so funny. Whip me, you trollop. Whip me, <laughs> yeah. you piece of shit. He goes like, I am garbage. Whip me. He's yes. Yeah. You slut. You trollop. It's just, yeah. See, like the movie start, like this first half hour, 40 minute stretch was really fun. Mm. And uh, then there's long sorry. stints of nothing in there, though. True. Like I will say, the whole stuff with the aunt and the young boy were that was not fun or engaging. It's kind of more disturbing and upsetting and dull. Like um, yeah. the like I had mentioned while we were watching it that I'm having a hard time dissecting or trying to absorb any cinematic or craft behind this because I'm so busy focused on what the fuck is happening what the th- what this means thematically like where we're going I'm so dialed in on that that I'm not noticing like oh shit the scene with the young boy and the art in the room it's done over like it's a five minute long single take shot kind of thing initially yeah and interesting lighting choices um something I didn't notice at this point but notice much later on is the red, white, and blue becomes quite a feature for the second half of the film. I don't know if that's intentionally. I don't know if I'm just thinking of that because of... Well, as well, the film slowly, definitely in the second half, shifts from a more kind of societal, like a satirizing of societal morals into more bureaucratic. And, I mean, we're definitely heavily into the police stuff at that point. So is that more kind of state versus, like, like, societal, I guess? Yeah. Well, before we get into that, the next day they wake up. I really wanted to have the next day everyone like is leaving the hotel and they make eye contact with that it's the weird most couple. Awkward, like, the most awkward buffet breakfast ever. <laughs> yeah. But instead, uh, this man asks the nurse for a lift. She gives him a lift. This goes for a really long time. 
And then now we're on the man. We're focusing on the man and he just happens to be a teacher at a police school. And yeah. the best thing happens at the police school where before where he gets into the classroom, the uh, police men and women are having a little party and then one blows a, bruh, bruh, a, a trumpet. A bugle. A bugle. A bugle. And uh, someone's like, yes, and then shoots a light and they're like, yes, well done. <laughs> I wet myself at that bit. Wet myself. It's, which it's like at that. It's the little moments like that where you're like, okay, this is a non-subtle way of Bonwell being like, okay, the the organization of the police, like you know, this is a clear statement on police and yeah. how they're just a bunch of fucking rowdy school kids. Yes. Yes. Like, and it's just like we get it, but then it just keeps going. Yeah, and I didn't really get the whole. Them coming in and out of the classroom, him having to re- I, His story was funny. The, the teacher is teaching a class on cockolds, which I had to have Chris well, explain to me. Yeah, Lee, Lee was like, what's a cuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, as an experienced cuck myself, I need <laughs> 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 <No>. um, Jokes. Jokes. <laughs> and I polygamy. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, Well, I think that's the other, that's like, it, it, that's what's kind of tough with this movie is it goes from like that, the setup of that scene is it's like one joke where it is, this guy's a professor, like teaching a class of adult grown policemen and women, uh, police people, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's like, oh, the, the joke is they're a rowdy class. Follow-up joke being that we're not actually teaching you anything in regards to policing. He's instead giving them a lecture on the works of Margaret Mead, who was a like a cultural anthropologist. Yeah. Um, good readings if you want to look into her, anybody. Interesting. I'm um, glad that you knew that. That I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, that's uh, that's like bizarrely in like my sweet spot where I was just like, oh, someone's re- referencing the writings of Margaret Mead. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I could be smart when I want to. Yeah. You're a very smart man. Um, but in that scene, we have red, white, and blue first introduced, and then it's sort of continued for the rest of the film. Yeah. It, it's... It, the problem with the film is I don't... I, I have a hard time getting the linking factors between the vignettes. Like, yeah. it, it seems to be so abstract into where and why we shift from, say, a classroom scene to uh, then the professor telling a story where it's a get-together, but people sit around and take shits, and it's that's what yes. you do, and it's improper to ask or talk about food. Like it, It's like the inverse idea of bathroom versus eating. Yeah. Like, again, New Yorker cartoon comedy. Like, it's, it's a very... Oh, it's a it's- good idea. Old but, man humor. You're saying he's like in his seventies at this point. It's yeah. super old man humor. Like it's something. It's a dad joke. But it, again, it's it's. I could see it working for a more modern sensibility. If not even modern, like at this exact like this is 1974. This is the t- like I think the exact same year that Monty Python and the Holy Grail comes out. Oh shit! But that's a very new form of comedy, like a very kinetic and hyper and yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's, it, again, it's that similar thing where he plays it so flat and everyone's mm. playing it so straight that it's them all sitting on toilets and 
you know, it, it, it's just a, and they've got the magazines, like you pointed out, like, that's hilarious, like, you sit on the toilet and you read a magazine, like. Yeah. But at no point were we, like, oh, oh, or, like, laughing, not that you needed to laugh, but we weren't, we were, like, cool, I get it, yeah. It's, it, I think it leads, the, like, now's a good, exa- like, time to bring up what I think is the overall issue with this film, is he lingers too much. Yeah. That that bar, that scene, it's like you get them going around for the dinner, the reveal of the toilets around the dinner table, and you're like, oh, that's weird. But then they lift the lids and they take their pants down and yeah. they sit. And then it's like two, three minutes of conversation. Yes. And then finally the daughter's like, mummy, I'm hungry. It's like, we don't talk about that at the table. Yeah. You're like, that needed to come quicker. two and a half minutes ago. Because um, I, I feel would... like, yeah. Sorry, was, you go. I was going to say, why vignette cinema kind of works, like uh, going back to Roy Anderson's like About Endlessness from last year, that is a 79-minute long film. It is an hour, it's le- an hour and 19 minutes. It gets its shit done. Yeah. Th- this film is an hour 45. <sighs> it, if this film was 80 minutes, it, it, I... I hate to be one of those people that just is like, this film, you know, films should be shorter than they are or whatever. But, you know. In this it, case, it just, it's a bit boring. <laughs> it, drags, it, it drags its scenarios out to a point of then no longer being funny or satirical. Like, the, the meaning is kind of lost. But is that, I guess, what he's going for? The idea of this satire is, the- is, you can, like, delve in satire so much that it eventually becomes meaningless? Maybe. This is the problem with these films is you feel like you can't express what you feel because you're worried that that was the intention of the creator. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that's yeah. the same oh, with yeah. art in general. If you feel a certain way, you react a certain way, you feel that you can't because maybe that's the intention of the creator, in which case you were meant to feel that. You know, it's just, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, I just think we should just... Feel what we feel and bugger it because we are not going to sit here researching all the bits and bobs and whatevers. It's our reaction oh, to it. not just that. I've researched a lot. There's not much out there on this film. Oh, really? I mean, I mean, I could have gone so far as to read Bonwell's autobiography, but I didn't have time to do that in a day. That's <laughs> it. We are, we're not doing, uh, we're not covering each of these directors in depth, in detail, yeah. we are doing a podcast about watching a film and reacting yeah. to it. And it's just I, not possible. Yeah. Like, at, at the end of the day, this, unlike... All right, so g- going back to it, like, post this, the, the dinner table, bathroom, juxtaposition of shitting and eating thing. <laughs> Again, it's, it's a great idea for a sketch. I'm laughing more when you say it now. Yeah. <laughs> but than it, when I watched it. It's a very, very smart joke. Yes. But it's executed, I think, so blandly that yeah. it, it, it's not engaging. And then, which leads us on to what I think is the best joke of the movie. But I don't know if you even registered what was happening or what the joke was. Where it's a couple who get a phone call from a school saying that their daughter is missing. Yeah. But the daughter is there the whole time, and the parents are like, "Be quiet now, honey." And they yes. like, oh, say they acknowledge she's there, but they go about the business as if she's missing. Yes. 
such like uh, I I that was the moment where I just could not stop thinking about Python. Like if this was a Monty Python sketch of imagine a little girl like John Cleese talking to like uh, like as a parent talking to like say Eric Idle somebody who's a police captain about his daughter being missing and his daughter sitting directly next to him being like no daddy I'm right here and he's like be quiet now honey the the adults are talking yes. But this film doesn't do it, necessarily. It, it kind of does, but doesn't. It's trying to... Yes. And that's what I'm wondering, if it's just an age thing. But see, Monty Python's just as old, and it and it still holds up, in my opinion, and it's still very funny and energetic. Whereas this one, I wonder if at the time and the place in France watching this, if people would be like, oh, my God, that's brilliant, that's so funny, and be laughing. Yeah. Um, and if it's just aged bad... But I, I, I think that is the case, because I know in particular Gilliam from Python was very inspired by, by Bonwell. And it is, but I think it is just a thing of it's such, it's going for that cerebral versus kind of the chaoticness. Like, because mm. when Python came out, that was considered super radical and different. Like, yeah. how they did everything. It shook shit up. Whereas I think this is trying to do that in terms of its themes and what it's addressing but still doing it in like housed within like a kind of more structured traditional way do you know what and it's probably i'm i'm just thinking in my head that it's a good thing that criterion collection exists because otherwise we might lose this sort of thing and and we might not understand it anymore it's been a length of time now that it might get sort of you know yeah. Lost a bit. And, you know, now that we have Criterion Collection, even if it doesn't stand up to, say, Monty Python or anything like that, we still get to collect it and keep it and have it. Yeah. The, that's. I mean, Criterion kind of gets a bit of shit occasionally for not acknowledging comedy as much as they could or should. Yeah. Um, I do love that they, you know, they've just recently put out a huge, like this film on Blu-ray, like they, with a Bonwell box set of the kind of absurdist, surreal final three films. Um, the Jacques Tati stuff is amazing. Jacques Tati, um, I, I really want to show you a movie called Playtime, Lee. Um, mm. It's like, he was uh, the character of Monsieur Hollette. He was essentially the inspiration for Mr. Bean. Ah. And it's it's very imagine like Kubrick mixed with Gilliam mixed with Mr. Bean. Um, yes, yes, and yes. Yes, uh, just beautiful. And the guy who plays it is also the writer director. Like, yeah, I I love me some Jacques Tati. Like, that's that's awesome comedy stuff. And they've started that's in doing there. some yeah, and they've started doing like the uh, Albert Brooks stuff. Like, they're getting into the comedy a bit. But you're definitely right that something. It's great that they've got something like this, that they're able yeah. to kind of keep in the zeitgeist, keep in the discussion and the dialogue. Because I imagine if you were around at that time in France watching this, it would have probably been, you know, yeah. awesome. And, you know, me as a person in 2021 in Australia, um, I probably don't get it, but it doesn't mean that it's bad or anything. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I think it's good that it we, yeah. The, yeah. yeah, it's definitely trying to satirize and discuss stuff that was kind of relevant and kind of on the on the talking point the the talking points I guess of that time and place um which is fine but yeah it's, it's fine but, but in you, terms of sorry I was gonna say you know what was probably funny back then but does not hold up now the whole mass shooting scene yeah the window 
Yeah. Bloody hell. That is terrible. That it, Watching that in 2021 was super uncomfortable. Yeah. So we follow a guy who's, I don't know where he is, where how he's connected, but he he's getting his shoes he's getting, shined. Yeah, he's getting his shoes, shi- his shoes shined next to a policeman, policeman who's also like, and yeah. That's how we get his connection. Um, and yeah, that we follow him as he goes up a tall building, a skyscraper, and he gets his rifle through the open window and just starts popping people off and killing them. Yeah. And at this point, I'm to Chris, is this meant to be funny? And you said, I think something funny is coming up. And then it was that uh, at the the shooter is in the courtroom later on and he has been uh, found guilty and sentenced to death. And then what happens is they take the cuffs off him. He turns around and everyone congratulates him, shakes his hand. Uh, well done, and he leaves a free man. So it's that kind of reverse thing that he's and, done. And then people are asking for his autograph outside and things. Like, he, he has become a celebrity. Yeah. Which I guess is a, like, I mean, very clearly follow, like, you know, a reference to Manson and all of that stuff from 60, late 69 and all the, the rise of the celebrity serial killer stuff. Yeah. And, it, yeah. you know, it's interesting. I think up until that moment of the autographs, I was like, what the fuck? But then... Yeah. Then, yeah, with the autographs, it sort of made a bit more sense. But it's weird. Like, it's just something you wouldn't show now. And it's in poor taste. It, it's... I, I'm okay with stuff being in poor taste if it if it has a satirical purpose behind it. And I, I, I understand and get that, like, at this time and place of when this was made, that was the satirical joke. It's just super unfortunate that that joke has kind of become a reality. Yeah. Which makes it kind of hard to digest in 2021. But my my issue with it falls on, again, the pacing and the timing and the structure of the vignettes, where it's... The, the payoff and the joke of him being in court, getting given the death penalty and then the autograph stuff, is maybe two to three minutes. It's... And it, him shooting people is like four yeah. It, it it just drags it out for two... Like, that whole section all up should have been three minutes. Yeah. To make your... Like, your setup, your punchline, you know, it's... To With make your, your point... little point at the end as well. Yeah. And yeah. just dragging it out for that long... I mean, that that's the one scene that's super uncomfortable for a modern audience. But yeah, it, it it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's we were talking, we were mentioning some mass shootings that we've been, uh, you know, heard about in the news and all that sort of thing. And and then I was thinking, geez, France has had a lot of them as well. France has yeah, been yeah. had a real tough few years. Like, I wouldn't even think this would hold up in France anymore. This joke. No, no, I do. Uh, see if I can find it in my notes, but I do know that um, some of some of the scenes have been actually taken out when it airs on television oh yeah but i don't think it's any of that stuff to be honest you don't think it's that no because at this point like who the fuck is watching fandom of liberty on tv who the fuck is watching tv these I'm days i'm thinking you know what i'm thinking i'm thinking all the muffs oh yeah all <laughs> the muffs <laughs> there was there was at least two muffs in this film there's two muffs and a lot of boobs at least two sets of boobs and uh. zero swinging dicks yeah it's a bit oh, of a bummer. 
Yeah. <laughs> At least one bum, though. So there's oh, that. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. The police commissioner storyline uh, at that point. Oh, I'd give the it film, up. It peters the fuck out. Like, it's really kind of just goes. Like, yeah, when, when it gets to that point where it's just like, you look like my sister. So let me tell you about a story about how I walked in on my sister naked and stared at her, like, you know. And her dropped boobs. my lighter and looked looked at her boobs and then her vagina and then my sister calls me on the like it's <sighs> yeah 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 it it becomes frustrating at that point like and I don't know if it's frustrating's the word yeah and I hate to be one of those people that's like it's pacing it's all pacing for me yeah and I'm not normally one who gives a shit about that stuff the amount of fucking old movies I watch. And I'm fine yeah. with the pacing, but for this one, it just—I suppose because it's satirical, yeah. it's comedy, and it's all that sort of thing, and it's it's very important. There, there's a rhythm to comedy, and I don't think Bonwell it it, it doesn't work in this film. Um, no. I, it's been a good year or two years since I've watched um, *The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie*, but I remember at least get engaging with that more, and at least understanding the overall kind of thematic arcs that he's going for that that was a lot more kind of cohesive yeah um but yeah interesting yeah um i don't know have have we got anything else on this one or might be time for some trivia oh there is a not a great deal for this one uh, so the film was uh, recognized uh, by the national board of review as one of the top foreign films of 1974 the title, The Phantom of Liberty, is a reference to the Communist Manifesto, which in English begins, A spectre is stalking Europe, the spectre of communism. The French translation, known to Bunuel, uh, translated spectre as fantôme. Um, so that the title seen as a dig at the bourgeois mentality, which fears freedom and as a sideswipe at rather straight-jacketed communist parties of the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, here it is. This is what I was looking for. In British broadcast, the serial killer as celebrity segment is often cut out. The what bit? The celebrity? Serial killer as oh, celebrity. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That that gets cut out for the most part. Um, this is some pretty awesome trivia. Uh, the film is part of the Criterion Collection Spine Number 290. <laughs> Enlightening! Yes, yes. Uh, but really, that's that's kind of about it. Um, I mean, there's the thematical stuff that Bonwell has outlined. Um, I mean, it's it, yeah. That's really about it. I was going to say the ending, the, the police commissioners now, two of them, they go to the zoo because there is what seems to be a riot. Yep. And then what happened? What happened, uh, Chris? Uh, do you want to... Uh, I've got Wikipedia here. Yes, uh, we thank see the you, animals, Wikipedia. We see the animals in the zoo. The two police chiefs arrive and direct police control t- uh, of an unseen riot. A voice is heard off screen crying out, Long live chains! Uh, as at the beginning of the film. Uh, the tolling church bells and gunshots from the opening scene of the film are also repeated. The film ends with a close-up shot of an ostrich's head. Why? <laughs> Why, Chris? Because that is the Phantom of Liberty. Oh. 
my kind of humor as well. Like, just what the fuck? But I just, I don't know. Like, it just, it, I don't know. Is it the the idea that it's tying it back into what set us off on this journey? I guess with the, but at the beginning of the guy's in his bedroom, it's an emu, not an ostrich. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know your avian culture, Bunwell. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so on that note, we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, as I said, it, it used to be out of print for a very long time. It's now available in a Blu-ray box set, three films by Louis Bonwell, um, also with Obscure, Object of Desire, and Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. It's also available on the Criterion channel, but it comes with Interview from 2000 with screenwriter Jean-Claude Carrier, Uh, analysis of the film from 2017 by film scholar Peter William Evans, episode of the French television series Pour la Cinéma from 1974, featuring actors uh, Michel Piccoli and Jean-Claude Briali, Uh, episode of the French television program Le Le Dernier de Cinq uh, from Mm. 1974, featuring Briali, documentary from 1985 about producer Serge Silberman, uh, who worked with Bunwell on five of the director's final seven films, as well as Trailer and the booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. Wow, that was a that was a real tongue twister, Chris. You did a good it, job. Thank you. <laughs> Thankfully, it's French. Like I'm, I'm usually okay with the French stuff, but yeah. Mm. Uh, but I guess unless you got anything else, that'll wrap us up for Phantom of Liberty. Do you have a tagline for me, though, Chris? Oh, I do. Oh, and we've got to hear what some... Yeah, yeah, we've got a... Hmm. Mm. I do have a tagline. I do. Okay. Uh, my tagline for this one is, and now for something completely different. <laughs> Brilliant! That's so good, Chris. Well done. Mine's not as good. Mine is the Phantom of Liberty, where the jokes go down like a lead balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, most of them do. Yeah, yeah. That works. Uh, well, we should definitely find out what uh, Claire thinks this film's about. Um, God damn, if she guesses anything even close to what this is, oh, it'll be a man. miracle. <laughs> Alright, so that music means it is time once again for Claire's... What's this about? No. Specifically (laughs) what... What's this movie about? There we go. So, the film you have, you're going to try and guess... make an actual jingle, that way I don't have to say it. Oh, like that incorporates you saying it. I can, we should, I should get some audio of you actually saying it and I can incorporate it into the jingle music that plays, so... Oh, there is a jingle? Oh, there's a jingle. There's a jingle. proving I haven't listened. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So, the film... What's what's this one about, Claire? It's called The Phantom of Liberty. It's a French film from 1974. Now, are you doing the thing where I get to see the front cover? There it is right there for you. Thank you. Oh, well, that changes everything. Is that a a butt? It's like a butt flamingo. It reminds me of Monty Python. Oh, okay. Mm. So what is The Phantom of Liberty from 1974? From 1974. Hmm. And it's French. Yes. So, 
there's a French guy and his family was part of like the people that chose to deliver the Statue of Liberty to America and he goes and retraces like why they did it but then also like is really angry at them and kind of wants to go to New York. So he hops on a plane and he actually just wants to like knock down the Statue of Liberty. So he's just like on a rampage. Okay, so it's more of a kind of... Are you thinking like dark comedy or drama? Yeah, dark comedy, dark comedy. So, yeah, so he's going into history, looking at his family, but also just like he's angry at the world and he's like, I'm just going to wreck shit. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then there's, you know, mishaps and kerfuffles because that's the dark comedy element. Fair enough. Yep. The end. Not at all correct. So I guess that will wrap us up for this week's episode. Uh, We will be back in a fortnight's time with an Ernst Lubitsch classic. Ernst Lubitsch? Ernst Lubitsch, uh, American filmmaker, actually. Oh, that was deceptive. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, From 1943, we've got Heaven Can Wait. The original classic 1943 version of Heaven Can Wait. Interesting. I'm excited. Uh, other than that, I would highly recommend that everybody check out our Instagram account. Yes. Uh, run by Lee, uh, the Criterion Quest on Instagram. Uh, that's where we're posting kind of stuff about the movies, some odd videos and tagline challenges. Yep, the videos are great. And that's where you can vote on our taglines, which one's better. Yeah. Um, as well, we've got the Patreon account where we're recording this so far in advance. I don't even know what commentary to plug at this point. Oh, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) They're all really good, though. Yes. So we're doing some bonus stuff over there, like monthly commentary tracks on films. Uh, not in the collection, just random ones. Um, we're about to record one at this time when we're recording this on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes. Which I think is... Good comedy. <laughs> Very fitting for this. I think it's one of the most underrated or and, and underappreciated classic comedies. Yeah, it's definitely one I came to late, so... Yeah. So, uh, if you head over to patreon.com slash criterion, the Criterion Quest, you can subscribe and get all that stuff. Uh, I'll link to it all in the episode notes as usual. But otherwise, we'll be back in a fortnight's time for Heaven Can Wait. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. And we'll see you next time. Au revoir.